um, we looked at the rest of forgiveness. And this is in part of that, some of those things that keep us from experiencing the fullness of God's rest. As sometimes we just a people who are unwilling to forgive, unforgive, forgive others. Uh, we're unwilling to be a people that ultimately receive the full forgiveness that God has intended for us. Either because we don't believe that God really can forgive us or uh, fully forgive us. There's just some sins too great. Or we, uh, more importantly, uh, I think, just as importantly, how's that? Uh, not willing to forgive other people. And uh, as we looked at last week, week, even as we pray the Lord's model prayer, also known as the Lord's prayer, we pray, Lord, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive those who have, are indebted to us, our trespasses. You like you came from trespasses. Okay. Forgive us our trespasses. <laughs> forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who have sinned against us. In the same end. Then it goes on to say, for in the same way that we forgive others, so our Father in heaven will forgive us. And if we fail to forgive others, neither will our Father in heaven. So that's where we were last week, is looking at the reasons why we fail to forgive other people, and secondly, looking at the consequences of our unwillingness to forgive. And today, I want to look at another reason why we don't fully enter into God's rest. And that simply is um, what the Bible refers to as a hardened heart, a hardened heart. Sometimes we just harden our hearts, we just buck up and say, we're not going to obey, we're not going to believe. And uh, we want to look at that a little bit more this morning from Hebrews chapter, chapter 3 and 4. And you want to turn there, if you would, please. I know that Pastor Mike already preached on this last year. And, oh, God forbid that we look at the same passage twice in a year, but we're going to do it. And um, I would ask that you join with me as we begin in prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for this time, for goodness and grace so abundant and free in our lives. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness, that there is no sin that uh, you cannot forgive, that there is no um, rebellion in our lives, Father, that your grace isn't greater still. Lord, even as we rejoice and are amazed in the fullness of your forgiveness, we pray that you would cause us to be a people who are eager and ready and willing, uh, not by our strength, but yours alone, to forgive others. So, So, Lord, we would experience that wonderful and incomprehensible symmetry of forgiveness, that you have forgiven us and then we can forgive others, and as we forgive others, you in turn forgive us. Lord, we just pray that uh, that would be true for each of us, that we might enjoy and know, experience, and give the fullness of forgiveness, even as you have given it to us. And today, Lord, as we look at uh, the need for us to be a people who obey, that we might understand what it is you would Call us to be in obedience to, Lord. We might be a people eager and willing by your strength and your strength alone to please you in all that we do. Not, Lord, not just for the sake of pleasing, but that we might know again the fullness of your rest. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless our study in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this last week I did my second um, full day, almost full day of solitude uh, this year. Um, which is a big deal for me. I'm not into days of solitude. I'm in the days of get it done and work. I don't know about you, but uh, you know, let's not be wasting time being quiet and things like that. And uh, so this is a whole new... Okay, I've done it before, but not like I've done this year. It's been great. 
Um, so this was at work in our work environment, and um, Ashley, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. And um, we, uh, uh, we, we took a whole, whole day on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, two different teams, a total of 75 people in all, uh, split roughly down the middle, and just spent the day uh, studying. The reason I'm mentioning this in particular is that we're practicing um, uh, sort of ancient, uh, ancient in the terms of early church tradition, um, uh, and almost, a, it is, I think, a monastic uh, tradition of uh, Lexio Divino, uh, which some of you may have heard of. It's, it's just a Latin phrase that means divine reading. And all it really boils down to is, you don't have to get too complex about it, it just simply means that you meditate upon and study uh, the same passage. Now, there's one thing about saying, we're going to study God's word all day. And we're going to pray all day and maybe do a little sharing and hymning, hymn singing, but basically times of solitude before the Lord, maybe some journaling. But we're going to stay in one passage all day. And uh, I don't know about you, but the idea of studying God's word all day long is a little intimidating. How about you? Anybody? I mean, all day? I mean, okay, how about six hours? Whatever, you know? And um, what we've done, uh, it, what we did was we took the parable of the two brothers, also known as the parable of the prodigal son, and, and we just simply spent all day long studying that parable. And the first time you read through it, you think, okay, got it, done. And you look at your watch, and you've got 45 minutes left on this segment before you come back and, do, and then spend a few time, a little while together, and then you go back and spend some more time alone. And I said, oh my goodness, you know, we're all thinking the same thing. I've read this, I've studied this now for a half hour or 40 minutes, and, and I've got 45 minutes left, what am I going to do? And so you go back and you study it some more. And you study it some more, and you start journaling, and pretty soon, you're into it. As the Spirit speaks to you, and you start taking verse by verse apart. And, and the, the, the parable starts out, and there were two brothers. And you think, oh, man. And you start thinking about, well, why does this parable have two brothers? Well, why not just one brother? Why two brothers? Oh, because the two brothers uh, represent two, the, where they, who are both really don't know the Lord in this parable, and they don't, they really weren't in good relationship with their father, as we find out later on. One was self-righteous, and one was, one was rebellious, uh, but neither one of them honored their father. And you start thinking about it, you realize they represent mankind that is apart from God. And one of them ultimately falls into the depths of sin and realizes it and comes to his senses and is saved, and the other one is self-righteous and thinks he's good enough and never really acknowledges that, that represents the, the, there's only two classes of people in this whole world. So I spent about 40 minutes thinking about the two classes of people, you know, just that this passage, that was only the first verse. And um, the two classes of people are those people who know the Lord and those people who don't. That's it. People who see their sin and ask forgiveness and are cleansed by the blood of Christ and those people who are not. There aren't any in-betweeners. There aren't any, in, there are no people that are almost saved. Only those that know the Lord and those that don't. So the, why we are driven so much to obey God and his command to share the gospel. So today, let's dig into this uh, passage in, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 3. And I want to just notice here, God expressed his anger at the nation of Israel when he had freed them from slavery in, in the land of Egypt. And God had performed mighty miracles for them. What were some of the miracles that God did for the nation of Israel as they, as they 
broke the chains of the slavery in, in Egypt. Some of, the, some of the miracles he did for them or, or in front of them. What did they do? Plagues. plagues. Uh, how many plagues? Ten. Ten plagues. What else did he do? Well, a big one comes to mind right away. Yeah, he parted the Red Sea. I mean, now think about it. I don't know about you, but uh, and there's a lot of debate among so-called scholars as to whether, you know, the really sea, sea really parted in the way that it did. But I'm a, a biblical literalist. I think most of you are. And just think about it for a moment. Um, this whole nation of Israel, probably 300,000 people or so, you know, crossed the Red Sea. The, the, you know, the uh, sea literally parted before them. There was dry ground, and they went across. You know the story, don't you? Well, think about what it would be like to experience that. How many of you have seen uh, uh, Charleston Heston in the, in, in the Ten Commandments? You have? Well, you, many times. You know, they did a pretty, uh, back before they had computer, computer animated graphics, they did a pretty good job, didn't they? What do they call that now, guys? CIG or something? Or CAG, whatever. Anyway, uh, before they had that, he did a pretty good job. And it shows them crossing the, the Red Sea with these huge walls of water on both sides. And uh, what would it be like to, to experience the very power of God on both sides of you, knowing that it's by his hand, he's holding the water back. And you're walking on dry ground, and you're looking on either side, and the, and the, and the, and the sea is just, what does the sea do? You know, just there, you know, in, in the, in the, in the uh, um, it was it Cecil B. DeMille's version, you know, it's making this huge roaring sound, you know, like waterfalls on both sides. Whatever it was like, must have been an amazing truly amazing, awesome thing. And they get across, and they barely get across, and then we know the Pharaoh's army came after them, and the Lord caused the, the, the waves to come crashing down upon them. Now, if you've gone through that kind of experience, wouldn't you think that you could trust God for anything? I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, it seems like a, you'd think so. You could, you could trust God for absolutely anything. But notice here in Hebrews chapter Chapter 3, it says, uh, verse 5, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which are spoken. Uh, verse, I'm going to take it down to verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this, this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God pronounced a judgment upon the nation of Israel. And the judgment was because they refused to believe him that he would cause a whole generation of the nation, an entire generation, all those over age 20, to be excluded from entering into the promised land, which was a symbol of what? What is the promised land, really? Not just... Yeah. It's a symbol of heaven. It's a symbol of salvation. It's a symbol, in this context, of God entering into God's rest, that which God intended from the very beginning for all those who uh, were called by his name, that they should enter into his rest. And notice here, verse 15, it says... Um, and while, he, while, it, while it is said today, this is a quote from Psalm 95, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts when they provoke me. For who provoked him when they had, had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses, and with whom he was angry for 40 years, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest? But those who were, what's the word? Disobedient. Those who were disobedient. And so we see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. Now, let's, let's get it clear here. It says here that God was angry, that God's wrath was upon them because they, did, uh, because they were disobedient. Why were they disobedient? In case we didn't understand, verse 19 tells us explicitly, you, don't you see? We see that they were not able. You see that they were disobedient because, they, because of their what? Unbelief. unbelief. Let's unpack this for a minute. What was it? that the nation of Israel did not believe. Yeah, Joshua and Caleb. Yeah. They didn't believe that God would provide. They could conquer the land. They didn't believe that God could kill the giants, that they could, that through them, right? What else didn't they believe? What didn't they believe? They didn't believe, Patty, God himself. They didn't believe that God would, that he was capable, that he was able, that he would deliver, that he would come across. What else? Let's bring it down to, uh, I only give you, this class, guys, if you don't respond within like five seconds, it's too late, man. (laughs) I hate silence. Oh, that's what this is about. Shoot. Okay, let's make this real personal for a minute. I'll make it personal for me. How's that? There's sometimes when I think uh, I don't believe that God's choices are better than my choices. Now, do we ever behave like that? Yeah, what, what, what about what do we do? What do we do? We what? We grumble, okay. In, in reality, you know, it's saying... Well, let's, let's take it back of entering God's rest, especially experiencing Sabbath. This whole series is about experiencing God's Sabbath. And part of it, a big part of experiencing God's Sabbath is having quiet time. Either quiet time, whether during the course of the day, you know, in the middle of the day, we've talked about that. You can stop in the middle of your work. You can have quiet time anytime. Uh, the, the, we looked at God who stopped in the middle of creation and saw that it was good. Remember all that? Well, we, can, uh, you can have, uh, we should have a day that's quiet before the Lord, and that can have, take on many different forms. Uh, and all that stuff. Now, we don't do it ultimately because, at least I don't, because I'm afraid that if I don't keep busy, I'll waste time. See? That I got to keep busy all the time. That God's called me to do things, you know, and, and to redeem the time and to number the days. So, therefore, you got to keep busy all the time. And if I stop, then I'll, I'll miss an opportunity to get some things done that ought to get done. Anybody with me on that? You ever feel that way? So I really, what I'm really saying is I think my way of doing things is better than God's way. I think my, my idea of keeping busy every minute is, is uh, better than God's way of stopping and, and just allowing him to speak through us and allow his word to speak to us and be ministered 
by his spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really what we're talking about is ultimately, what do we believe? What do we believe? Yesterday, I've really been trying this, so I'll share with you. It's, uh, I'll share with you a little victory failure thing here, you know, but most, but, you know, the victory was that yesterday afternoon, it was 105, so it was easier to stay indoors, right? I could make a wise decision. I'm going to stay indoors most of the day. I actually went out in the patio for a while till I, and I had tomorrow, yeah, I, I, I didn't, chose not to do the serve day, which is a terrible thing, and it's a horrible sin that I didn't. I, and, and, and I could have. I've done serve days, and I'd love to do more. But I, I said, no, t- yesterday I'm going to have a quiet day. And I'm going to just spend the day with, and I did. And I, I spent all after, what, till about, from about 11 until about 6 at night. And I just, I did some writing, did some quiet reading. I was just alone. And that was a great experience. So twice in one week, is that weird? Uh, what they do with the real mark, right? But, um, uh, what I find still is that I kept looking up at the yard. And every time I looked up, guess what I saw? A chore. I mean, it was horrible. I mean, I'm looking up saying, oh, I need to go up and fix that. I need to go take care of that. I need to, you know, and I could visualize myself going out there and working in 100 degree heat. It didn't bother when I would have done it. And it really was difficult. But after a while, you know, you get in this quiet, Groove, is that a biblical term, the groove? You get into the spirit begins to work, in the, at least in my heart, and I lost track of the time, and I looked, Cindy, finally Cindy says, Mark, you need to go pick up the OB kids. I'm thinking, all right, why? It's not till 6 o'clock, well, it's 5.45 or something like that, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it's just a wonderful thing. So, you know, there's a great experience, but ultimately, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. We don't believe that God's way is better than our way. We just don't believe it, and we don't act on it. It's really, really hard. It's a struggle for me all the time. And sometimes we don't believe that God's promises could be trusted. You know, the Israelites just didn't believe that, um, that God would, as somebody said earlier, uh, that he'd come across. Um, I think some things they didn't believe, they didn't believe that the promised land uh, was really better than uh, being homeless nomads in the wilderness. Isn't that weird? I mean, it's almost illogical, isn't it? But they really didn't believe that. Or at least they didn't believe the price was big enough. They didn't believe that God could really slay the giants in the land. And um, ultimately, they just didn't see God as part of their daily lives. Just didn't see God as part of their daily lives. What a tragedy. The very people who walked on dry ground across the Red Sea, who saw God do these miracles. We don't know that everybody in Israel saw the ten, you know, Moses turned the, the, the uh, uh, staff into a snake, and they certainly saw the evidence of the other ten plagues, but uh, this was one that they experienced firsthand. This was very intimate. They still couldn't believe. Because it was a couple years ago. Oh, how quickly, how quickly we forget yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. So, so instead, what did they believe? Now think about it. If you don't believe you, that, you believe something. Well, they believed that they could ignore God's commandments and do pretty much what they wanted. Uh, they believed ultimately somehow that God would ignore their sins and it would turn out okay in the end. And for we as Christians, it's real easy to do that because after all, um, we're good Calvinists. And um, we believe once saved, we're always saved, right? There's no sin too great will separate us from the love of God. 
And therefore, we do, as Paul warns us in Romans, we trample upon the grace of God, don't we? May it never be. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin? No. Well, just because we're saved forever? No, may it never be. But somehow, we trample upon the grace of God. And, um, or we think that um, another variation of this is God will ignore our sins, or, or maybe if he notices our sins that he won't do much about it. Or maybe we'll think that, well, it wasn't a sin after all. You know, it wasn't really quite cross over the line. So we tend to grade our sins, and as long as it's not a really big one, we're okay. We don't deal with it. I mean, I mentioned this last week, you know, when we confess our sins, we kind of think in terms of the big ones, right? But what's sin before God? Anything that falls what? Short of his glory. You know, just falling short of God's glory is, is sin. Um, we confess before God. God calls us to confess. And the ultimate, I think, ultimately, I think that the, um, ironically, the, um, the uh, um, Hebrews didn't believe that what God promised them was worth the wait. Just didn't believe it was worth the wait. What a tragedy. Well, all this, if you look at back in the Hebrews, if you're still there, and um, all this um, is referred to in verse 13 as the deceitfulness of sin. But encourage one another, verse 13, day after day, as long as it's called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ultimately, what hardened the heart of Israel is they chose not to believe God, even in the face of overwhelming evidence that he was indeed able. And the disastrous result was a gradual hardening of the heart that leads to deeper and deeper rebellion. So we find here then the warning. Don't harden your heart when you hear the voice of God. Uh, do not, verse 15, do not harden your hearts as in the days when they provoked me. So there's a plea here for us not to be a people who harden our heart. We see the same verse repeated in verse 7 of chapter 4, Hebrews. And again, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he has said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Do not test the Lord. Um, let's, let's look at uh, Psalm 95 for a moment. We have a, um, I don't know if we sing this song as often, but one of, the, one of the great songs. Hang on. Psalm 95. Look at verse 8. This is where the writer of Hebrews is quoting, Psalm 95. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation. And they are a people who err in their heart, and and they do not know my ways. Verse 11, therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. Notice here, uh, God says he was swore in his anger. He loathed the generation for a period of 40 years. Pretty harsh words. Why was that? Because notice in verse 9 it says, they tested me. They wouldn't believe me. And they wanted God to perform again and again, prove every time. They never, 
It was never enough for them to believe God. It never was enough, again and again and again. And it says here, though they had seen my work. They had seen the work of God. They had seen him perform the miracle right in front of their very faces. Though they had seen God's work, they refused to believe. But notice here, the context is what I mentioned earlier. Um, Verse 6 of Psalm 95. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Then it goes immediately, the latter part of verse 7, Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Notice the context here. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. The context here is what? Worship. It's worship. What is the whole point of not hardening our hearts? What is the whole point of entering into God's rest? What is the whole point of believing? There is a result in our work uh, when somebody proposes a project or something to do, um, there's always, a, there's always a, something I know I'm going to hear, no matter what. Everyone is, is trained. They go through all this planning, training, project management classes, which I happily go through too, you can tell. But I know, I know the question. I, sometimes I ask the question, and you better be ready. What's the question? I want to do this thing. I got this great idea. Let's do this project. The question will always be, what's the desired result? What do you want to accomplish out of that? What problem is it going to fix? What's the desired result? Can you list out what will be different, what will be better, because we've done this thing? And if it's not compelling, it doesn't matter how good the idea. If you can't articulate the desired result, you don't get to do it, at least where I work. Well, what's the desired result of coming into God's rest? What's the desired result of well-being? What's the desired result of all of this that God is calling us to do, of ultimately obeying him? It is that we might not just feel better about ourselves. It's not that we just, uh, you know, kind of like work out our problems. No, this is about coming before the Lord. It's about ultimately worshiping him in spirit and truth. Come, let us, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. That's what it means, ultimately, for us to come into our rest. Is that his rest is that we might be a people who worship him. Did I tell you the story about the shearing shed last week? Did I tell this class? I didn't. I, the shearing shed? I didn't. Now, you would know. Yeah. Um, we were with a friend in, um, uh, that uh, went to seminary in the outback of Australia. Now, I know it sounds weird, uh, and, but they, he, he went to seminary in the city, and then they had this, these classes out in the outback where they could just be really alone. And um, I don't know if it was the whole school there or just how it all worked, but he was out in this remote, remote town in the middle of the outback. And uh, they uh, tended sheep as part of what they did. And um, he said, during sheep shearing season, this old shack that they called the shearing shed was chaotic, just absolutely 
uh, a zoo of sheep. And the, the sheep shearing equipment was going like crazy and uh, making all these noise and there's bleeding going on and, and um, machinery is making a, uh, this chaos. And he says, I stayed away from the sheep shearing shed, the, the sheep shed, shearing shed, whatever <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, try that three times. Because uh, during that season, but he says, when, in the, when, it was, when the shearing season was gone, he says, we, everything was quiet. It was the quietest place in the whole ranch where the seminary was held. He said, and for my quiet times, this is Gary Williams, he says, for my quiet times, he said, I would go out to the sheep shearing shed or the shearing shed, and I'd just be alone. I'd be absolutely quiet. You could almost hear the ringing of the, of the chaos that went on weeks before, but now it was quiet. And uh, he, I would pray, and I'd be alone, and God would speak to me. It was wonderful. And he said, and then I, would, I went out there one time, and I heard this faint bleating sound, a little lamb. You're a little lamb. You want me to do the bleeps, the, the bleating sound? I'm not good at that, but you know. <laughs> you all can do it in your own ears. He heard this bleating, and he looked over in the shadows, and there was a newborn little lamb and its hoof was caught between the floorboards. And it was pathetic, and it was, he went over, and he freed the hoof, and he carried the lamb outside, and it ran away, and it was okay. He went back in for his quiet time. And he said, I've reflected upon God's care for me. I've reflected I am the sheep of his pasture, and that uh, he knows my voice, and he knows when his sheep listen to him. He just thought about that and God's care and how powerful that picture was, that God reached out and freed him and rescued him. And what a privilege that was. And what a joyful time of quietude and worship before the Lord. Well, we don't always get sharing sheds, experiences like that. But God does call us into his quietude. And God calls us to believe him. And God, I believe, hears us and grants to us those quiet times that are pretty powerful. In just a few moments that we have left, um, let me take you to Numbers chapter 14 that describes the uh, rebellion. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 14. Looking at verse 8, you remember some of you already referred to the story uh, the spies went into the land of Egypt, uh, I mean of, of Canaan, and they spied out the land. They came back and they reported that there were uh, there were big, uh, there were huge giants there, and um, that um, it was a really scary place, basically. And the people were all worried about that. And in chapter 13, I'll take you there first. It says Caleb, verse 30. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, "We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it." But the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. For they um, gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a hard land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. And he goes, they go on and really basically convince the people that it was too scary to go into. 
And um, so um, notice here now, I want to take you to chapter 14 and um, verse 6 it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, all those who had spied out the land tore their clothes, those who had, uh, not all those, excuse me, of those who had spied out the land tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the son of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them, that is stone Caleb and Joshua. And then the glory of the Lord appeared to the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. And God pronounced the judgment upon them. And Moses went before the Lord and intervened and prayed and said, Lord, uh, 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 um, verse 18, the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy loving kindness, just as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So God had intended that nobody enter the promised land. Moses intervened and pled before the Lord. The Lord said, okay, um, he said, Verse 20, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed, as I live, all earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, they saw the ten miracles, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall they, shall any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, and then we know from uh, verse 30, that, of course, um, Joshua uh, would indeed enter into the promised land. All the rest, age 20 and over, were prohibited, and it says their corpses would lie in the wilderness. Their corpses would lie in the wilderness. And all the, uh, the spies who went into the land, who brought back the bad report, died in a plague shortly thereafter. So God's judgment was upon the entire nation of Israel, and by his mercy, he spared those under 20 years old. Now go back, and we'll finish up in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 now. Verse 1 says, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, let us fear, lest the promise remains of entering his rest. Any of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us. Uh, <clears throat> Verse 3 now, for we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter that rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, even though Israel did not enter God's rest, even though they were disobedient, we can, in our belief, enter into the very thing that God promised the nation of Israel. It's not too late. Let us be careful, let us be diligent, one translation says, to enter into that rest. And in verse 6 it says, Therefore it remains for some to enter it, for those who formerly had a good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. And then verse 9, There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from him. Verse 11, Therefore be diligent to enter his rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. Well, there's an irony here that we find. There's a great irony that God calls us to enter his rest and he tells us to be diligent in doing it. There is some effort, there is some energy, whether it be physical or emotional, to enter into God's rest, to fully experience God's rest. And that's the way God intended from the beginning, that we be a people who work and then we rest. And part of that work is to understand the fullness of God's word. It is to put disciplines into our lives. It is to spend the energy to to take the time to plan for seasons and even moments of rest. And in that planning and in that obedience, in trusting the Lord, that he will give us a richer and deeper rest than we ever experienced before in our lives. So I just uh, would encourage us today as we uh, conclude here that we ask God to help us to be a people who truly and completely and fully trust him, obey him, believe him, that his way really is better than our way, and that wasting time with God, from our human perspective, is the best investment of time that perhaps we could ever make. If you haven't done it in your own life lately, I just encourage you to plan some time. If you've not done it as a habit of your life, um, I would just encourage you to um, get your calendars out. I don't know how many of you live by calendars, but um, get your calendar out and, and mark a time on your calendar for next week where you'll spend 15 minutes alone with God. Maybe, and just read three verses of Scripture, or, you know, five verses of Scripture, ten times over. Pray before the Lord and ask Him to speak to you. Block, if you really feel comfortable, block out a half an hour. For some of you who have done it and do it regularly, and you whip through your quiet time, uh, block out an hour or two, or a half a day. And just spend quiet time before the Lord. I'll tell you, the first few minutes will be hard. And um, the last part of your time alone with God, you'll be saying, is this over already? I should have planned more time. Just encourage you to do that. Lord, thank you that you have uh, shown yourselves so mightily before us. And Lord, and in your greatness and your power that you have shown your love. We pray that you would allow us to be a people in our obedience and our trust of you. Would... Be diligent to enter into your rest. May we know that more fully in our lives, Lord. Not just so that we feel better about ourselves. Oh, that surely will happen. Not just so that we're not emotionally and spiritually and physically. But Lord, uh, first and foremost, so that we might know the joy of our salvation. That we might... worship your holy name, knowing that indeed you are our God, that we can trust you fully, that you intend all in our lives to work together for your good and your glory. And that is sufficient, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.